0: hello 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 good morning hugh church good morning wow So beautiful uh, faces you have. I'm so happy. I count it a privilege to be worshipping with you. As you're greeting each other, sharing your names, I want to go ahead and also introduce myself to you. I am Pastor Sam Pearly, co-pastor of Hugh Church, and I'm so happy to be worshipping God with you today. I know some of you are visiting us for the first time or checking us out, and if that is you, I just want to give you a warm hug, okay? And we are so happy that you are here worshipping worshiping today with us and you know we are a new church and we are just three weeks old today we are celebrating our third week anniversary at Hugh Church and I'm so happy that you picked this day to worship along with us let me let you let me share with you today you are going to experience heaven upon earth heaven upon earth that's what Hugh Church stands for and this day is going to be the best day of your entire week Are you excited? So let's be joyful. Let's be cheerful. You know, at Hugh Church, you have permission to speak. You have permission to respond to me. When I ask you a question, you can answer back. I say something, you like it. You say, I like it. You don't like it, you say, you don't say anything. Okay, (laughs) right? But you have permission to speak at Hugh Church, and I'm so happy to be worshiping with you. Hey, I want to greet you. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Okay, okay, okay. Some of you are thinking, man, hasn't, wasn't that on Friday? Why, why is he talking about St. Patrick's Day today on Sunday? Well, you know, I can't help it. I'm from Boston, guys. In Boston, St. Patrick's Day is for the whole weekend, okay? You know, Boston has a huge Irish settlement. Quite a few people who live in Boston, Bostonians, they have Irish roots. You know they—they they are so Irish that they name their pro basketball team, the NBA basketball team, as the Boston Celtics. Their mascot is a leprechaun. You know, they—you they, know—if they get hurt, they bleed green. That's how Irish past is. Now it's so unfortunate that St. Patrick's Day has become synonymous today with drinking and partying and revelry. But if you look at the meaning of St. Patrick's Day, it's actually an unbelievable Christian story. St. Patrick was a missionary to Ireland. He is responsible for converting the whole people, whole country of Ireland to Christianity. He prayed. He brought God's word there. He did many miracles in Ireland. You know, one uh, claim to um, St. Patrick's fame is that because of his prayers, the island was rid of snakes. That the island could be more inhabited than it was before. He loved the poor. He was a person given to generosity and he lived a life of mission. In fact, St. Patrick's Day commemorates the day he passed away. That's the day he died. And so when we celebrate St. Patrick's Day, we celebrate his life, the meaning of all that he has done, and the way he lived. So let me ask you a question. Why do we wear green on St. Patrick's Day? Anybody know why we wear green on St. Patrick's Day? Did you notice we have green chairs? That was intentional, because every Sunday we celebrate St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know why we wear green on St. Patrick's Day? Green is luck. Green is luck, okay, that's a good answer. You know, green Uh, The Ireland, the country of Ireland, is also called as Emerald Isle. It's Emerald Isle because it's green. They have green in their flag. If you see the flag of Ireland, they have green in their colour. And if you look at the Irish countryside, it is so lush, so beautiful, so green. And so Ireland decided to use green as their national colour. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you want to go on vacation there? (laughs) <laughs> so why, why is that green? Why is that greenery there? Well, it's because of this one main sprig that grows there, also known as the shamrock. It's a three-clovered leaf. It's also called the clover. And the shamrock fills the island. And so when St. Saint pa- Saint Patrick came to the island, he thought God already went before him and came to the island. And he said, you know what this small sprig points to it points to the Trinity it points to the Christian God you see the Christian God is God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit it's three people three persons in one just like this leaf has three parts in one God is our triune God and he used the shamrock to explain to the people of Ireland the story of Jesus And that's how he brought the gospel to Ireland. So if you look at a portrait of St. Patrick, you will always notice that there is a clover right in his hands. There is a shamrock in his hands. In the next slide, if you look at his portrait, you will see that there is a clover right there. Every time you see St. Patrick, you see a clover somewhere around him. Because he used that to talk about Jesus. At Hugh Church on our launch Sunday, we talked about the Trinity. And St. Patrick talked about the Trinity, brought the gospel to all of Ireland. Now, some of you here are new to Christianity or are exploring faith. Some of you are Christian. And regardless of where you are in your journey, I want to let you know that there is no worldview out there. There is no religion out there that can explain the human condition as Christianity does. And fill your life with meaning, purpose and hope. There is no book out there that you can read that will read you while you read it. That's the Bible. The Bible can transform your life like nothing else can. People have banked on the Bible and their lives have been filled with contagious joy. C.S. Lewis, one of the foremost thinkers, philosophers of the previous generation, he said something like this. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see the risen sun, but because by it, I see everything else. Through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, we see the world. We see the people like nobody else can. You know, when there is sorrow, when the world sees sorrow, we see hope. When the world sees chaos, we see purpose. When the world sees suffering and pain, we see healing. When the world sees death, we see resurrection and life. That's what Christianity gives us. That's what Jesus gives us. In fact, this is the cardinal difference between Jesus and all the other religions out there. All the other moralizing religions out there, they are in the business of making bad people good. Helping you have your better life. But Jesus is not that. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. People who are dead in their sins, people who are dead in their bondages, in their addictions, people who are dead in their lostness, lack of meaning and purpose in life. Jesus has come to transform them and fill them with his resurrected life. And when you live with the power of Jesus, good works automatically follow. You live as the child of God. Speaking of resurrection, in about three weeks from now, we're going to be entering into the Holy Week. And we are celebrating quite a few things at Hugh Church. On Thursday, which is the Monday Thursday, on April 6th, we have a Seder Feast. We're going to have the feast that Jesus had. You know, the Last Supper Jesus had with his disciples, the elements that Jesus had. We're going to have, and we're going to look at how each of the elements that Jesus ate that day points to Jesus himself. And it's a free meal. So mark your calendars, invite your friends, and come join us for a meaningful feast on Thursday night, April 6. And then on April 7, we have a Good Friday celebration. We have to come together. We call it Celebration I will Exposed because that day, Jesus paid for your sins and my sins. We're going to talk about what does it mean that Jesus stepped on the cross and died for you and I. And then on Sunday, we have Easter Sunday and it's going to be glorious. We're going to talk about the power of resurrection. If you have any person in your life, any friend, any family member that doesn't know the hope of Jesus, please invite them that they would also know the power that rose Jesus from the dead. And they would live with that path, that hope, that purpose that we who believe in Jesus will live forever. That's going to happen on Easter. Are you guys excited? It's going to be awesome. So please go ahead, mark your calendars, invite your friends, and come join us to celebrate Easter week together. Now, at Hugh Church, we read the Bible. We believe in the Bible, we understand the Bible, we study the Bible, and more importantly, we practice the Bible. The Bible is the foundation of Hugh Church. And if you've been with us since the start, we've been reading the Bible. We've been going through the Bible. And particularly, we've been going through a book in the Bible called the Gospel of John. In the Bible, there are 66 books. 39 have been written before the time of Jesus, also called as the Old Testament. 27 have been written after the time of Jesus, right around his lifetime. And those are called the New Testament. And John was one of the disciples of Jesus. He was part of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. He walked with Jesus. He slept with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He saw Jesus up close. And he wrote a record of Jesus for you and I. And so we've been going through the book of John. We've been looking at the first chapter. And so far, we've covered the first 13 verses in the Gospel of John. The first 13 verses. And what did we learn? Well, we learned that Jesus is God. Nobody makes Jesus God. Nobody makes him God. Jesus is not God who is becoming God. Jesus is not God made by man. Even before there was space or time or matter. Even before there was anything called the beginning. Even before there was a this or a that or a when or a where. Jesus was God. Jesus is God. He always will be God. He is God who has been from the beginning. He is the architect of the creation. The first day of the creation, before anything was made, he was there and he made everything. All things were made by him and by him all things hold together and he is the reason for all things to exist. That is Jesus. Jesus is not a god that we put in a pocket. He's not an idol we worship. He's not a god we uh, can analyze and somehow come up with a theory of godhead. Jesus he is God. He gives us life. And that's who Jesus is. And then we begin to learn that in Jesus is the light. And in him, his life gives us light. And this light shines in darkness. Whatever darkness people might go through, that darkness cannot stop this light. And we've learned that Jesus gives us the power, the authority to become children of God. Children of God. That are born not by human effort, that are not born by blood or flesh like all people are born. That he gives us the right to be born supernaturally, to have a spiritual new birth. That the same power that rose Jesus from the dead also gives us power in our spirit. And that power overflows and transforms us and makes us the children of God. That's what Jesus offers to everybody who believes in him, who receives him. And today, we're going to look at verse 14, John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and we have seen his glory. Just one verse. We're going to unpack that today. You see, John, the disciple of Jesus, he could have used any word, any phrase to describe Jesus. But he uses the word, the word. In Greek, it's logos. He's talking about how Jesus, the logos, became flesh. You see, in John's context, in early Palestine, in the Jewish context, the word was a big deal. Right in the first page of the Bible, in, in Genesis, in the first book of the Bible, in the first few verses it says, God spoke. Let there be light. And there was light. God spoke, let the water separate from the land and dry earth appeared. Heavens and earth were made. God spoke, let there be plants and vegetation and all kinds of of herbs and they all came out. God spoke, let there be lights in heaven and lights to guide the people. And so sun and the moon and the stars were created. God spoke and he said, let there be all kinds of creatures that swim in the oceans. And there came all the fish and the seafood. God spoke, let there be all creatures that walk on the planet earth that fly in the air and so we have all creatures, animals and birds. God spoke and he said let us make man in our image and he created man, male and female he created them. God spoke, God's word has power, God's word has authority, God's word is the beginning and God's word created everything. And this word, God's been continually speaking to his people. God spoke to Moses, gave the Ten Commandments. Those were the literal words of God, written by the finger of God. And then God gave Moses a revelation of who he is. And Moses started penning that down. And then God kept speaking to his people. God started sending prophets and other people to give his word to the people. And the Jewish people faithfully recorded this word. Faithfully they copied it. Faithfully they passed it from one generation to another generation. And that's how we have the Bible. The Old Testament Bible came because God's word was so prominently present in the culture of the Jewish people. And now John says that powerful, awesome, creating word. The guiding lamp to our feet, the one that has been putting all of our people together and giving us purpose as a nation, has become flesh, and has come down. Wow! That's amazing! The Word became flesh. You know, that means the invisible became the visible. That's okay. Don't worry about that. That means that the audio became video. That means the abstract God that we think about has become an actual person that we can meet. That means that God, the Word, the invisible spirit embodied and became flesh. I know you don't get it, Well, let me explain it to you. You know what? So my wife and I, Priya, we got married. And after we got married, um, just about uh, a, a few months into our marriage, that my wife had to travel to Canada. And that was during the pandemic. And she had to travel to Canada to become a Canadian citizen. And so she had to be on Canadian soil and go through all the proceedings of becoming a Canadian citizen. And she had to be there for three months because of the pandemic. Now, while she was in Canada, we were trying to communicate. We would do all kinds of audio calls. We would do all kinds of video calls, but that was hard. (laughs) Anybody in a long distance relationship at any point in your life? You know how hard that is? It is so hard. We had this long distance relationship for three months. And you know what? However many audio calls we did, however many video calls we did, nothing could match, just her presence with me. Just that intimacy I have when she is with me. You know what John's saying? Until then, all humanity had a long distance relationship with God. All humanity had a long distance relationship with God. We could only hear his words. We could only hear his words being spoken. We could only hear his words being recorded. But with Jesus that word became flesh. Became a tangible actual person that we can have an intimate relationship with. Jesus has come down, become the flesh, so that you and I can touch him, can feel him, can hear him, can eat with him, can, can, can fellowship with him, can live with him, can have life together with Jesus. He became flesh. And he continues to write, not only did Jesus become flesh, you know what it says? The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, John is saying that Jesus became flesh and he came to dwell amongst us. He came to live amongst us. In other words, Jesus did not become flesh just to appear to us. Hey guys, look at my new clothes. Bye-bye. That's not what Jesus was doing. He put on flesh. He became embodied so that he could come and move in with us. So that he could come and live with us. That's his love. You know what John was writing here? It's much deeper than just staying with us. The living with us. You know the dwelt? The Greek word for dwelt is eschinosis. And that Greek word eschinosis. the skinny, is actually skin. You know skin? Like animal skin. Like tent. Like tabernacle. Eskenosis, the word became flesh and eskenosis amongst us. What does that mean? The word became flesh and tented amongst us? Well, that has a rich analogy to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, back in the day, 1500 years before Jesus' time, you see, God Almighty He came down and he lived with the people. If you look at how Israel's history panned out, they were slaves in bondage in Egypt. God delivers them from that bondage and brings them into the promised land. And while they are on this journey from Egypt to Palestine, they wandered through the desert. And in the desert, God came down and God dwelled with them. You know how God dwelled with them? Well, if you look at the slide, you'll see there is a tent There is a tent that God wanted Moses to set up. A tent in the center of the camp. And in that tent, God would dwell. And you could see all these small, 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 small tents around. That's the tents where people lived. Because they were nomads. They were traveling from Egypt to Israel. So they had to live in desert. And so what John's saying was, just as how God came and dwelt and there is that glory, that smoke that you see upon tent, that is God's glory, God's presence. This is how God came down and stayed with the people in the Old Testament times. Jesus, the true incarnate God, came down in flesh and tented with us. That's amazing. You know this tent culture is so prevalent. Even today when Jews they celebrate a festival called Sukkot. And Sukkot is a festival where they remember that Jews lived in tents. And if you visit modern Palestine and you go the time of festival of tents, they set up tents. They set up booths and they live in them to remind themselves that back in the day when Moses and all the children of Israel were traveling from Egypt to Palestine, they lived in tents. And God lived amongst us. And John uses that rich imagery and he says, Jesus came. And he tented with you and I. Let me tell you about another tent. Back in the day, just a few years ago, myself and a few others, we wanted to reach out to the homeless. We wanted to go and meet a few people. And so we decided we wanted to go to Oakland. Because in Oakland, there is a place called the Tent City. If you look at these pictures, you'll see that there are these homeless people living in tents. Below the bridges. And you find that, if you walk around, you'll see that just a lot of squalor there. And when I went, that was my first time visiting the tent city. And I was going there and it was stinking, it was smelly, it was so scary. I saw needles, broken glass everywhere, clothes unwashed, people never haven't taken baths. And as we were walking, we were trying to meet with people, they wouldn't even want to engage with us. They're like, why are you here? Why are you bothering our lives? Why are you coming into our tent city? And we were there, we were trying to communicate. We were, I couldn't bear, my, bear that smell there. I could hardly stay there for an hour, and I rushed back home. I went back home, I took a deep shower, washed my hair, and then I could relax. Because it was so miserable visiting the tent city. And then I was thinking, the word became a tent. Jesus visited our tent city. Jesus, you know, came and he brought a tent along. He did not come to give some food, to give some money, to give some resources and go away. He came along with a tent. And he put up a tent right there. And he tented in the tent city. You see the love of God? You see how much Jesus loves us? The disparity between the grand use of what Jesus has, being God of heaven and earth, leaving all that he has, taking a tent with him and coming and tenting on with us in the tent city. You know the love of God? Word became flesh. He took upon himself our form. Not only did he become flesh, he tented with us. You know the best part? So that he could take us all back to his glory. I could hardly stay in the tent city for an hour. I mean, imagine taking one homeless guy there, putting in my car and bringing them to my home. I mean, that's unthinkable. But you know what Jesus said? I came because in my father's house are many mansions and I'm going and I'm preparing a place for you. He became flesh so that he could take all the flesh with him back to his mansions. That is the love of Jesus. That's what Jesus has come. That's why Jesus tented in with you and I. We continue to read and John says, And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. We have seen his glory. John uses the word glory. We have seen his glory. Glory. What does John mean by glory? Well, maybe he is referring to how Jesus when he was on this earth, he spoke really well. He had amazing principles to give to people to live by. He was a great teacher. He said things such as, you know, do unto others what you want them to do unto you. And this is how the world sees Jesus as a great teacher. Well, some other people see Jesus not just as a teacher, but also as a miracle worker. Jesus, when he was on this planet, he healed the people. He gave sight to the blind. He made the lame walk. He made the deaf hear. He rose the dead back to life. And so maybe John was referring to Jesus' ability to do miracles? Is that the glory that he is referring to? What was John referring to when he says, we have seen his glory? Glory as of the only Son of the Father. Well, maybe... There is something more than that. Anybody heard of the phrase, Mountaintop experience? Mountaintop experience? You know, sometimes people have mountaintop experiences. Yeah? Yeah? It's an English phrase that talks about how, you know, you go to the peaks of your achievement. You know, you have this epiphany, some significant revelation, or some great achievement, and they say, wow, this person is living on a mountaintop experience in their life. That's an English phrase, but that is actually from the Bible. All through the Bible you see God speaks to some people on mountain tops and gives them new insights, give them new revelations. You've heard of the Ten Commandments, how God spoke to Moses on the mountain and he gave him the Ten Commandments. Now interestingly, John, the author of this book, also has a mountain top experience with Jesus. Maybe that's what John is referring to. Because if you read about it, we read in another gospel, in Mark chapter 9, verse 2, 3, and 7. This is what it says. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. You see the John there? The same guy who's writing his book, the book of John. And led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And when he was transfigured before them, his clothes became radiant. Intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them and a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud this is my beloved son listen to him this is my beloved son listen to him. So you see the connection we have seen his glory as the glory of the only son from the father. Because when John had this mountaintop experience with Jesus he saw Jesus transfigure Jesus change became white radiant beaming with glory And a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. That's the voice of the father talking about Jesus. So John records, we have seen his glory as the glory of the only son from the father. But friends, I want to let you know, The book of John, the gospel of John is also called the book of glory because you will hear this phrase a lot in the gospel of John. What did John really mean by glory? It goes beyond Jesus' radiance. It goes beyond Jesus' beaming, shining appearance. You know what it might refer to in the Gospel of John? It will surprise you. Because as we read through the Gospel of John, as we read through the book of John, as if we skip ahead, you will see this word appear. And let me point out to you a few other places this word appears. In John chapter 7 verse 39. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit has not been given. The Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And He was not given to people yet because Jesus was not yet glorified. What is that? Jesus was not yet glorified up until then. And the spirit wasn't given. Well, continue to read in John 12, verse 27 to 32. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this. This is what Jesus is praying. Father, glorify your name. The same word. will draw all people to Myself. He said this to show by what kind of death He was going to die. Jesus uses this word glory. John uses the word glory to talk about the death Jesus was going to have. When I am lifted up, that means when I am crucified, when I am lifted up on the cross, the death I am going to have, That is going to bring glory to God. That is so hard for us to grasp and understand. 2000 years still in from when this has happened. You see, John wants us to see that the greatest glory of God was displayed when Jesus hung up on the cross for you and I. That's when the glorification of Jesus' body began. And then he went into the grave and then he rose up from the grave and the glorification was consummated with him having a resurrected body. You see the cross is a place of shame. It's a place of failure. For display for all to see. It's a place of loss. It's a place of death. But John wants us to see that is the glory of God. God is glorified in the most base, vital things. That you might ever go through. You might feel like you are going through the cross. You might feel like you are at the end of yourself. That's the point that God can get glory. That's the point where God can step in and do only what he can do. And so Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. And so Jesus goes on the cross. And at the weakest point in Jesus' life, God's power strengthens him, raises him back to life. That's the greatest glory. And guess what? Jesus promises that we are going to have the same glorified bodies. When Jesus rose back from the grave, his body was so glorious it would pass through the walls, but it would still eat fish and bread. It would be at one place, one time, at another place, in another instant right then. It would appear to one people. It would be appearing to thousands of people. Its glorious body would come and leave. And finally, that glorious body ascended to heaven. It all started with Jesus hanging on the cross for you and I. And then John continues to write in the last phrase of this verse. And the word became flesh. And dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Jesus was graceful when he was on this planet. Jesus gave grace to everybody. He would speak with kindness. He would welcome people. He would hang out with people that the society would banish away. People like what the society called the sinners. People like what the society called, these are tax collectors, these are traitors, these are terrorists. Jesus would welcome the outcasts of the society. Full of grace. And Jesus was also full of truth. He spoke the truth. He called out evil in people. He called out hypocrisy in people. Jesus always spoke the truth. There is no error, there is no lie in Jesus. You know the interesting thing about grace and truth? You see, a person who is graceful, A full of grace is a person who is merciful. Mercy is the outworking of grace. They give mercy to everybody. Everybody that says, hey, I'm sorry. That's okay. I welcome you. I forgive you. That's what a graceful person does. Full of grace. Mercy is the outworking of grace. And just as mercy is the outworking of grace, justice is the outworking of truth. When truth is established, Justice must be served. That's what we have all these courts for. They try to establish the truth of an event. And if the truth is established, they want to serve justice. That the people that need to be punished must be punished. In Jesus, John says, he's full of grace and truth. He's full of mercy and justice. How did mercy and justice both meet in Jesus' life? Well, at the cross. When Jesus hung upon the cross, he gave mercy to you and I. Whatever you and I deserve, He took upon Himself, and He said, "I forgive you." And how is God's justice served to Jesus when He hung upon the cross? You who need to be punished, I who need to be punished for our wrongdoings, Jesus was punished. And so, on the cross, we see the glory of Jesus. We see grace and truth being displayed at its magnitude in Jesus' life. Full of grace and truth. So as we wrap up this verse, the word became flesh. And we have seen his glory as the glory of the only son of the father. Full of grace and truth. What do we take away? How do we remember it? Well, I want to leave you with an analogy. Okay? So, I have a little bit of a science experiment I prepared for you. To help you understand this better. So I have two bottles here. And then in these two bottles, okay, here, in this bottle, I have carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is a gas. And it is in the bottle. Because after I fill it with carbon dioxide, it doesn't escape. Because it's heavier than air. And it is in the bottle. Can you see the carbon dioxide? Yes? <laughs> you, you can't see? There's something. yeah. There's some dust, maybe? Do you see the carbon dioxide? You don't. Because carbon dioxide is invisible. It's colorless. It's a gas that can't be seen. It's a gas that can't be smelled. It's a colorless, odorless gas. It's invisible. But guess what? The invisible will become visible. And that invisible carbon dioxide becomes a visible carbon dioxide. You know what this is? This is dry ice. You take carbon dioxide, you cool it down, put some pressure, it becomes ice. It becomes a dry ice. You see that? That's like Christmas right here. And this ice is carbon dioxide. Now you can touch it, you can feel it. It's cold and you can experience what it is like. You can see it. But how do you see the glory of carbon dioxide? How do you see its glory? The invisible carbon dioxide became visible. You know when you see its glory? You see its glory when the visible carbon dioxide becomes invisible again. And this is how you see its glory. You put some water, you put the waters of judgment on the carbon dioxide And then you see its glory and what's happening is the visible carbon dioxide is becoming invisible and it's going back to what it has been always the invisible carbon dioxide you see with Jesus the visible became invisible after he rose up from the dead and his glory was displayed in that transformation at the cross that process began and it consummated when jesus rose up from the grave on easter sunday and we're going to partake in this glorious celebration of jesus come easter and we're going to celebrate in that but i want to leave you with an application how do we apply this in our lives i mean the Word became flesh dwelt amongst us we've seen his glory full of grace and truth as the only son from the father but how does that transform your life you know the way it transforms your life You see some of you here, you've been Christian for a while. You've been going to church. You kind of get that, you kind of know that the word became flesh. In fact, Jesus' words are in your heart. You know the words of Jesus. You know what Jesus taught. But the problem is, they're only in your heart. They haven't become enfleshed to people around you. You are hiding the words of Jesus, but you've never shared the words of Jesus with anybody. You have words of Jesus to yourself and if that is you I want to invite you this Saturday which was yesterday a few of us went out into the streets you see this picture we put some door hangers we got some prayer cards we got some invite cards and we went through the streets and we started distributing door hangers we started sharing this word with other people the word trying to make it become flesh to others so they can see it So they also have this hope that you and I have in this world. And if you want to partake in such an endeavor, come this Saturday. We'll meet here at 10 o'clock. We'll go around for a couple of hours and we'll leave. We'll pray and we'll submit whatever we've done to God. The word becoming flesh in our lives as we share the word with other people. Come join us on a Saturday. Come, let people know about how this word can impact other people's lives. Maybe some of you are new to Christian faith or are exploring or are not even Christian. They've never been to church before. Hey, if that is you, I want you to know. This word has become flesh so that he can give you life. So that he can move in with you and transform you and make you new, change you from the inside out. And the way that happens is by receiving that word, receiving Jesus, by believing in Jesus, by accepting him, making your Lord and Savior. And it's so simple. The Bible says the way you are saved is by believing that Jesus has come for you. He has died for you and that he rose up from the grave because if you believe, you will be saved. It's so simple. If that is you, you want to take the next step in your journey, use your connect cards and say today I am deciding to follow Jesus. Check that off and we will welcome you. We will help you take next steps in your journey with Jesus and see the life transforming power of Jesus transform your life. In a moment I will pray for you. And I invite you to make this your personal faith. The word became flesh. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your love Lord, your love that descended down, came in to our brokenness embodied in flesh, bore the name Jesus meaning savior and came to save us Lord, God here we are, we want to invite you to fellowship with us God, Come, ten-ten with me, Lord. Move in with me, Jesus. I want a fellowship with you. I want to begin my life, my friendship, my journey with you, Lord. And I pray for these of my friends here, Lord. As they're contemplating beginning a relationship with you. Would you guide them, Lord, and help them find you, God. Pray for my friends who are thinking about how the words that you have given them could become enfleshed. How they could share these words with others Lord. Would you guide them? Would you guide the boldness Lord? A desire to live out your word in their lives. Would you lead us? Would you guide us? In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.